Hello, welcome to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. Thank you, as always, to Story94 for hosting us and creating the podcast and their wonderful podcast studio here in Oxford. If you haven't been already, you'll get fed up on me saying this, but you should definitely visit. Uh, today on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the most fashionable person in Oxfordshire, the style editor, Samantha Harmon. Welcome, Samantha. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So let's start. Tell the listeners who don't know you who you are, your background and what you do. Strap in because I do love to talk about myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a style coach, which means that essentially I help founders, leaders and predominantly women in business to save time and make money using the power of their clothes. I was the editor of the Oxford Mail and the Oxford Times and other newspapers up and down this fair land and I basically used my style as a personal brand and now that is essentially what I help other people to do. Amazing, amazing. Having got to know you over the last few years, I know one of the things that really stood out to me is that story that that you give about people thinking you were the receptionist when actually you were the editor. So talk to the listeners in a better way than I've done of of that journey and of how your career in what is a male-dominated career really you stood out. Yeah. It's also a industry that is very much dominated by a certain socioeconomic type of person and I grew up on a council estate and I wanted to be a journalist because growing up on a council estate I saw a lot of stuff that I felt was unjust and Mm. I used to do things like write letters when I was about 10 to the local newspaper nice and I think that with journalism, a lot of people get into it and they think, oh, I'm going to be famous. But actually, the reason that you should get into journalism is because you want to make a difference because the most important stories that you'll work on will be things like an elderly lady who lives in social housing and has mould all over the ceiling of her house and can't get through to anyone to help. Mm. And so eventually she'll call the local newspaper. The local newspaper will put a call in to the Social Housing Association and miraculously the problem mm. is solved within the day. Mm. So that is why I got into journalism and it was pretty hard going, to be honest. I had to do stuff like literally clean toilets to fund my way through mm. and do work experience all over the place, which costs a lot of money, obviously. So then imagine. I was having to do a lot of work on the side of that. And I got into a newsroom <laughs> and on my first paid job, the first thing that the editor said to me was, I think you're too into fashion to be a serious journalist. So wow. obviously then I had to, I was thinking, I did not graft my way here for someone to say that to me because it's very much a judgment of who I am based on the fact that I like leopard print. <laughs> and so I managed to work my way up in the newsroom and get onto the news desk. And when I got onto the news desk, a male editor had been to a conference and at that time, hundreds of newspapers up and down the country, very few of them edited by women, specifically young women. And he came back and he said to me, Sam, you are going to have to really prove yourself. There's a lot of dinosaurs in this industry at the moment who don't get it. They don't get why we've given you the job. But I think that the reason I was given the job was because I was very future facing and I could see the way the industry was going and the changes that had to be made. So, yeah, it was a bit of a battle. And then when I came to Oxford, 
I did have a lot of people say to me, oh, what school did you go to? And obviously they meant what private school did you go to? And, you know, I had a lot of people who would do stuff like I would walk into a meeting and they would just assume that I was the receptionist or they would go to talk to my male deputy rather than talk to me or they'd ask me, what is it like to work for so-and-so? And I would be like, I don't know because I've never worked for him because he actually works for me. So it was always challenging those assumptions of what people thought an editor was and what they looked like. But it was very interesting because on one of the newspapers that I edited, I was the first female editor ever. And we had an, a massive archive of news and we had a historian who used to come in and do little bits and pieces and archive it. And one day he took me through the old editors. He had this book and it was like all of the editors of the past. And they were all someone who looked extremely similar. And he, I was having a really bad day because I'd had some proper sexism. And he said to me, you know, I wonder what they would think of you being here. Like, this is the reason you have to just keep going with what you're doing. So, yeah. Life story, just <laughs> amazing. No, re really inspiring. Really inspiring. The thing that I'm I'm really keen to build on that is around the fashion piece. Why do you believe it matters to people what somebody looks like? So thinking about that, I guess that first part in terms of you're too fashionable to be a journalist, which is of course a ridiculous statement, isn't it? But why does it matter? Unfortunately, we do make judgments about people mm. um, and it's actually something that we can't really help because it's just our psychology. We're always making judgments about people. But the most important thing is how you feel about yourself. And if you are wearing something that makes you feel that little bit more confident, you are more likely to stand up for yourself, to advocate for yourself, to ask for a sale or, you know, to get visible. Visibility is a huge thing now. Having a personal brand is a huge thing. And it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. People will always remember you from what you wear. We were at networking yesterday and a lady came up to me and said, oh, I remember you because when I met you last time, you were wearing that lime green skirt. And I actually got a client recently because I was in Bista with my friend and a lady stopped me and said... I love your outfit and we got talking and I was telling her about what I do mm. and that's how now she's working with me. So just building on that a little bit, do you think that it matters what you wear if you feel comfortable or is there a, um, a percentage? So it matters because it's important you stand out, that's your brand, but it's important you feel comfortable. Talk to me about that dynamic. It's become quite popular, I think, to say that it doesn't matter. I see posts all the time, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I mm. can wear my pyjamas if I want to. I honestly think that the reason that I have clients is because they know that they don't feel very good just wearing their pyjamas every day. There's something called enclosed cognition, which is where psychological studies show that what we wear really impacts our productivity, our even our honesty, our confidence. And so I think it does matter and mm. there is a there is a difference between being comfortable and being in a comfort zone mm. and i think we're in this weird stage at the moment after the pandemic where people just aren't sure what mm. to wear anymore and it's become really popular to say oh it doesn't matter actually it does because if you're portraying one image out there and at home you're wearing like your old holy tracksuit bottoms and not feeling mm. good 
you're lacking integrity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to put that bit on ice for a moment because I'd really want to come back to that. Um, but I want to move on to how you work with clients because I think something that really resonated with me is about not having more clothes, but having clothes that you wear. So can you, um, I've given the spoiler, it's like a trailer, isn't it, to what you're about to say. So I've given the trailer, so now, now give the film. So if you think about your wardrobe, honestly, if you're being really honest, you probably only wear about 10% of it. That's what I see. Mm. And clients will often say to me, well, you know, I don't really know how Mm. you can help me because I wear most of my clothes. When we get everything out of their wardrobe, they realize that, no, they don't wear most of their clothes. Mm. We have a huge problem with overconsumption and Mm. the fashion industry is extremely polluting and we are buying too much stuff. We buy five times more clothes now than we did in the 1980s. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and we, we're we not wearing them. We don't mm. need them. And what we do is we buy stuff for someday. We buy stuff mm. for this someday version of ourselves that we're going to be when we've made this much money in our business and we're on a yacht and blah, blah, blah. And we've never been on a yacht before and actually we get seasick. So it's just not practical. Mm. Um, and I describe it as having a museum of dusty clothes you never wear rather than a wardrobe. And that is what we see up and down the country mm. is people with these, this almost, it's almost a shrine to the person that they wish that they could be. Mm. And then the actual person they are is in a drawer of, you know, folded up, crumpled stuff that they're putting on every day. Mm. Mm, absolutely. I, I really like the piece that you touched about the environment. So I was fortunate to um, invest in Zippersin, so the baby brand. And one of the things that um, Kate, the, the founder, always says is that fast moving consumable fashion has more of an impact on the environment than diesel cars, which I just find incredible. And just all these clothes going to landfill, which you can look at it two ways. You can look at the environment, but you can also look at the cost connected to that. So, so no, certainly really, really resonates. So what would be your advice for, um, and I know that you predominantly work with female founders, what would be your advice to a female founder listening right now that might be a little bit nervous or might maybe feel stuck in a rut or not maybe have that confidence? Like what, what, what would be the first thing they should do? And what would be that, I guess, your, your top bit of advice around that? The first thing to do is think about your brand and how you want to come across. Number one, how you want to feel, but secondly, how you want to come across. Because I'll have clients who will say to me that they want their brand to be fun, energetic, Mm. vibrant. And Mm. when they honestly assess what they're wearing every day, it's Mm. bland, boring, beige. Mm. And obviously, there's a huge disconnect between those two Mm. things. Um, And when you're sorting out your wardrobe, obviously the traditional thing is keep this, throw that, donate that, but actually go on the feeling of it. So clothes you love and wear, clothes you love but never wear, clothes that you don't love but wear anyway. Mm. Why are you doing that to yourself? And clothes that you don't love and don't wear. Why are you Mm. keeping those? There's Mm. so much information in your wardrobe that's not actually about your clothes. That's actually about how you feel about yourself. Mm. Um, And also think about how you want to feel, how you need to feel every day in order to generate the income that you want to make in your business. Mm. Because that's really important. Because if you have a business you have to be visible. And so if you are not doing, you know, Instagram lives, LinkedIn lives, showing up, doing these things, going to networking, I'll have clients who will come to me because they've booked to go to networking and then they've talked themselves out of it because they just don't feel confident enough to do it. 
So how do you need to feel every day out of 10 in order to make the moves that you need to make mm. in your business? Mm. No, really, really interesting. Really, really interesting. And I guess um, let's flip this 180 degrees. So what can you and I and those listening do to support people? So, so I think that maybe in if you're really horrible, it's conscious bias. Um, but in most cases, it's unconscious bias, isn't it? Um, when somebody walks into a room and I always note about you in a positive way because you are the most fashionable person in the room. But actually, I think that, you know, if somebody did turn up in their pyjamas, people would unconsciously biasly judge potentially or certainly notice. So what can we do to, I guess, make that more of a conscious thing in a supportive way? Be more... Yeah, be more conscious of it. There's a really good book called The Body Is Not An Apology, which is about unconscious bias. And specifically, it's more about, you know, body bias and racism. But the author says that what you should do is if you notice a thought about someone is just think, that's interesting. Mm. Where did that come from? Mm. Because you aren't your thoughts, but somewhere you have got this belief mm about that thing that you're seeing and then you've made a judgment based on that. Mm. So, um, yeah, just noticing your thoughts and also not obviously judging yourself for your thoughts, but it is really important to explore them because if we don't explore them in a non-judgmental way of ourselves, we're never going to make any changes to the systems and structures mm. overall. Mm, absolutely, and they're really good advice. And I think something that, again, I thought was a fantastic campaign by Google is they they did a campaign, it, it's okay to wonder. And it was a campaign about um, Marcus Rashford with, with racism and Googling, is it okay to say this phrase? Is it not okay? Which I thought was really, really clever. Okay, the bit that I want to move on now to is business owners and business leaders, whether they be female founders or whether they not be female founders. Because I think one of the things with my recruitment hat on that I see relatively regularly is the dress code at work. So my team this, my team that. And, and actually, a client visit that I went to yesterday, I'm really, really happy to share without giving specifics. They tend to hire a lot of grads. And last summer, they had a real issue with, um, they only mentioned the females, in their eyes, not covering up enough. As an employer, what's your thoughts on that statement? And, and do you feel that as an employer, you should set boundaries? And do you feel that as an employer, that you should have a uniform? Or should you give complete free reign? Or should there be you can express yourself, but but as long as you aren't X. Like, that's quite a big, difficult question, isn't it? Uh, maybe not difficult for you, Samantha, but um, but yeah, give, give your views on that. I think it goes back to why you've hired that person in mm. the first place, because you've hired that person because of who they are, what they bring to your mm. team. So therefore, it is important that they are able to bring themselves to work. But it's also really important to have communication. And what I found as a manager and what I find when I speak to other managers is that from the top down, that communication and training is very much missing. And so managers don't necessarily feel comfortable having those conversations with their people. I had someone recently who's a manager say to me, people are coming to work either like they're dressed for Royal Ascot or like they've just rolled out of bed. Mm -hmm. And when I said to him, well, why aren't you having that conversation? He said, because I don't have the training in place. I feel uneasy broaching the subject with people 
because no one's talking about it. It's almost like we just see it as this frivolous thing. Like it doesn't matter what you mm. wear to work. Actually, if someone spends 10 minutes a day worrying about what they're wearing, that's two days a year. And wow, yeah, if they're really feeling conscious, they're going to turn up to work and they're going to sit there quietly and they're not going to feel comfortable raising their hand, sharing their ideas. They're not going to feel comfortable asking for sales or, you know, being visible for your brand. And it does frustrate me a little bit that I have a lot of private clients. But then when I go to talk to their employers and say, hey, I've had two or three women from your organization come and work with me to improve their confidence so they can do a better job for you. It's almost like it doesn't matter. Mm. And then you have stuff like International Women's Day where these same companies are, you know, putting out all this PR stuff about mm. all the great things they're doing for women in their business. And yeah, the communication is really lacking specifically when it comes to dress code. And another thing is neurodiversity. People who are neurodiverse really do struggle with what to wear to work for a number of mm. reasons. You know, they may interpret things differently or things like labels, they can hyper-focus on stuff. Materials can be really difficult for mm. them. And so it is important to be having those conversations and be mindful of that when you are creating or updating mm. dress codes. Mm. No, really, really good. If you were to update a dress code, how do you go about a dress code? So what is the process? So you run a business, you've got 100 staff and you're putting together your employment contracts or your policies. And on the template, it says dress code. How do you go about that? Well, smart casual, for example, is a very confusing term. Like <laughs> those kind of, it's like, ever. oh, smart casual. What does that mean? Because <laughs> to some people that means pajamas, and to other people that might mean a three-piece suit. Like it's all up to interpretation. Getting employee buy-in is really important, mm. I think, to make them feel engaged mm. in the process and to understand the reasons why mm. you're doing this. Because if you just put out a thing and say we're updating the dress code, people will instantly get their backs up because they'll think, okay, well, what are you saying? That I don't dress appropriately or, you know, you're asking me to go out and buy a whole new wardrobe. I can't afford to do this on my wages. You haven't given me a pay rise in five years, mm. you know? So you you need to get employee buy-in, which is mm. explaining to them why this is important, actually mm. how it's going to help them do their job better. Mm. The other thing is working from home and hybrid working mm. is a whole different ball game now. And, you know, making sure that people understand why it's important to get dressed for work every day when they're at home is also important, I think. Mm, absolutely. That really leads on nicely to our next question. As if Convenient. We're as if we're working um, together on this. So the next question really is about confidence. In terms of confidence, I, I think... And again, you may correct me. So I'm coming in with it somewhat of a bias. Um, I'm using that word again. Is that some people might not know what clothes are going to give them confidence. Um, I imagine that happens with, with some clients that you, you work with during the first conversation. So is there a rule? Like, how does that process work from somebody coming to see you and saying, look, I feel a bit bland. I'm lacking confidence. I don't like my wardrobe too. I've got confidence. I can push my shoulders out. All, all of that process, really. It's magical, really. It's that magic. I don't I don't know how I do it. It's just magic. But it is really wonderful to see that transition from someone coming to me and saying, I feel really stuck in a route. I don't know what to wear. I'm avoiding getting visible to then seeing them actually go and do their photo shoot, 
get a book deal, you know, be public about what they're doing. That is magic. Confidence is, I feel like it's a buzzword that we throw around and we're never really quite sure if we have it and it's something that we have to work on every day. Like I feel that I am able to understand my clients because I spent so many years hating myself when I'm being completely honest. Like I spent many years feeling like I didn't fit in, like I was hideous, you know, just it's awful to feel that way about yourself. And this is a society that we're living in. Women are women specifically, but obviously I do think that this does apply to men and other people too, are subconsciously flooded with all of these, you should be this, you should be that, you don't look good enough, you need to spend your money on these products because this is the thing that's going to help you fix yourself and it never does. Mm. And actually what you need to do is the inside work. Mm. So what I do with my clients is a lot of the inside work. Mm. Actually, they may think that we're going through their wardrobe, mm. but what I'm doing is coaching them. I'm asking them coaching questions, which make mm. them think, why did I buy this? I bought mm. this because I saw it on this influencer and I thought that if I got it, that would make me finally feel mm. as if I'm the person that I'm supposed to be, that mm. the world keeps telling me to be. So I think it's about having true confidence is about being yourself and having the resilience to be yourself in a world that constantly every day, subconsciously, subliminally and otherwise tells you not to. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm about to mention this show on a business podcast but one of the things I happened to read a headline about was Love Island. And it, it was astonishing. And again, I can't remember the percentage, but the percentage of people that have got accepted onto Love Island that have had work mm-hmm. done in some capacity to go onto the show. And then afterwards have had mental health problems from trolls giving a hard time. And it, I think a headline that I saw is it's important to be kind, which was, I think sums this up really, really nicely. The next thing that I want to come on to, and I want to be very careful how I say this, because um, I think terminology can, can come across in the wrong way, is really about the whole, I guess, the bee going to the pretty flower example is that I think there's certain people across Oxfordshire that really stand out because they're dressed nicely. You're a great example. Let's mention a man. So Nick Badminton, he's always with his nice three-piece suits and a haircut every week. And I've seen a lot of studies that it's human nature, it's unconscious to be attracted towards, you know, somebody who's dressed really well or is making an effort. Is that something that we should be considering in the world of business in terms of, I guess, what our audience is going to be attracted to? Yeah, you only have less than a few seconds to make an impression. And the other thing is that it takes a lot, particularly if you're a service-based business as well, for someone to see you and the message to keep resonating with them, for them to actually even go on your website to look at your services, to even put an inquiry in. And we are very kind of community-focused because it goes back to, we have parts of our brain that are, you know, prehistoric. And in those parts of our brain, it's all about community and survival. And so we naturally gravitate towards people who we feel get us and resonate with us. Mm. And that is absolutely what you can show through the power of your clothes. Mm. And colour is also a really big thing. You know, the colours you wear, whether people realise it consciously or not, do give off a meaning Mm. there's a lot of psychology in 
clothing and in colour psychology as well. I can't believe the second you mentioned colour that Mike Foster is literally going to kill us both because I didn't mention him as the most fashionable man. I was thinking that. I was like, what about Mike in his waistcoat? Damn, damn. Anyway, um, so (laughs) we are coming towards towards the end of the show. And I think the two things I'm quite keen to build on here um, is really two bits of advice, if that's okay. And the first... In fact, the second's probably not a piece of advice. The first piece that I want to just talk about really is around your career. So I think it was so clear from the start of this podcast and from getting to know you that you are a real hard worker and you're so passionate about what you do. So if somebody's listening here and they're female or male, but I think for the purpose of this female and looking to break into a hard to get into industry. So being a journalist, what would be your advice? My advice, if you want to get into journalism, is go and get into journalism, go and find stories. The local newspaper market, unfortunately, is struggling. I mean, if you look at any of the industry websites, you will see that. And there are a lot of stories that aren't being covered. And if you go out and speak to people, you will find out what these stories are and you can just go and pitch it to the newspaper and get your byline in the paper. So I would definitely suggest that you do that. Sometimes, I know that's a phrase, your net worth is your network, but honestly, building your network is really important with any business, I think. That's what I would do. I mean, I still edit the living magazine series so because you know i just i love it i love magazines (laughs) and so if people have stories or pictures for that send them to me Mm. and i'd be happy to help anyone in any way that i can because i think that sometimes people forget where they've come from and i used to see it in newsrooms all the time where people would you know treat the work experience like oh we've got work experience in you forget that actually you were once that person and i think if we're gonna change the industry because the industry does need to be changed i mean i have a friend who runs a charity called press pad which is really about socio-economic diversity in journalism and some of the statistics about, you know, the type of people that are getting into journalism are truly shocking. And if journalism doesn't represent the country, which you could argue that, you know, currently it doesn't, then what we're seeing isn't the real picture and it doesn't actually represent people. And that is what journalism is supposed to do. And the other thing is, for any industry, just don't give up. Like perseverance, which can be really, really hard. You've got to be tenacious and often there's this rhetoric now of you know people shouldn't work for free which I do agree with but you know you unfortunately you do have to be tenacious in any area even now like running my own business do you think that I get up every day and I'm like oh my god this is so successful everything's going so well some days I'm like what am I doing Mm. is this working I think we need more honesty about that kind of stuff Mm. because we don't see it on social media. It's just everyone's doing so fantastically well. Is that the real picture underneath? Mm, absolutely. No, can, can, yeah, can really resonate with that. And, and certainly I think that a big thing, whether you're looking across sport or the media or business, you know, the, the number of suicides that have happened when they haven't said. So, so no, really, yeah, really, really good advice. My final piece, which I think would be really useful in the case of your business is just, and we touched on this quite a bit earlier, but I just want to kind of just go through 
just just kind of talk through. So if somebody's listening, they're a little bit scared and they would like to work with you. What is the process and how can they work with you? So it's less of an unknown get in touch with me so I have one off one day services where we will spend the whole day together or half a day together in your wardrobe sorting it out that's called the wardrobe refresh and then I have longer term one-to-one clients who I work with if they're doing something like they are launching a business and they really need to cultivate the confidence and the personal brand to make that happen or they're looking to go for a promotion for example and I always say to people what I do isn't actually about clothes it's about helping you save time and make money and I've had clients who have you know got a pay rise just because they're much more confident and that's so so important and also in this economic climate there's a lot of specifically women who will say well there's no point doing it now you know there's no point in living this dream because the economy and I can't and blah blah blah. there's never going to be a right time now is always the right time to do it Mm. so absolutely the common phrase the best day to plant a tree was yesterday but the second best is today there we go look at that Samantha thank you so much um, you've added such value to the listeners and, and really really given good insight you and I have spoken on this platform and, and, and offline so many times and I think every time we speak I learn something so I'm sure the listeners are going to learn a lot um, if I can learn certainly you have been listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. Thank you, to Samantha, for being such a great guest. Thank you also to Story94 for hosting us at their podcast studio in Oxford. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you enjoy the next episode. <laughs>